Hi, this is the Robberator. You can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. But we know there's at least one of you who only shows up to find out what we're drinking. You know? Yeah. Actually, I've had, I've had one person tell me that. Steven told me. He's like, I listen to Sword and Laser just to find out what you're drinking. No, I actually didn't ask him if he stops listening at that point and just doesn't listen to the rest of the episode. That'd be well, funny. That's, that feels like that's what's inferred. Yeah. There. <laughs> what are you drinking? <laughs> All right. Done. No, I need to listen to the rest of this baloney. This baloney. Um, what are you drinking, Tom? I'm drinking. I'm going to disappoint you, Steve. Uh, I'm drinking a San Pellegrino. A flavor? Not just even a, a flavored one. Yeah. Ooh, just a plain okay. old sparkling natural mineral water bottled that's at the nice. source. In Terme, Bergamo, Italy. Sounds refreshing. Um, I am having a Fort Point Animal. It's kind of like one of their summer, summery beers. Oh, it's a beer. Whew. What, what do you mean? Like the, the fresh blood of an animal? <laughs> yeah, drinking an animal. Ah, liquefied animal what, remains. What kind of, what kind of flavor p- profile does Fort Point Animal have? It's an IPA. Yeah. So it's, it's it... got like, it's supposed to have tropical notes. I don't oh, okay. really get yeah, that, that. That's from what it. I was wondering if, if it had that flowery, yeah, it's supposed fruity, to be like tropical, that kind of stuff. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It's got a nice terroir <laughs> of, uh, what kind of nose animal butts? Has. Yeah. Um, mm, delicious. Ray mm, would love it. Mm. Oh my gosh. We were on a hike yesterday and. <laughs> talks we're like Ooh, what's that and i was like what's that and ryan was like get away from it <laughs> was and it, it was just a severed deer leg oh no there was oh. no it's just like purely just completely actually i, I was thinking it was going to be even worse that's not great trust me but that's yeah yeah just i'm sorry i didn't put post a trigger warning of <laughs> animal dismemberment yeah. um but it Ouch. was i was like oh okay it's gonna be one of those hikes cool 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 um no it was fine no dogs consumed any any deer flesh that i'm aware of so it all worked out okay <laughs> and tom homie rudolph <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, no. Poor game. <laughs> oh, the reindeer games were too deadly. Uh, radar reindeer games turned into squid games. I mean, it is October. We are reading a horror novel, so you know it is spooky fits. season. Yeah, spooky season. Well, well let's talk jump. about squid game. I'm 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 a I little put out. I'm a little put out that everyone suddenly is into Korean okay. drama. I've been telling them Tom's thing. for years that Korean drama is amazing. Uh, okay, finally. Uh, but is it a pool. Korean drama? I don't feel like it, it follows that same. Really? It it's not the stereotype. Obviously, if that's mm-hmm. that's that's probably what you're what you're meaning. It's not because the the stereotype K drama is a romance, right? Uh, and right. Squid Game is certainly not a romance. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I'm. I have only experienced Korean dramas by either staying at your house or you staying at my house. <laughs> uh huh. So that is my. 
<laughs> scope of knowledge. <laughs> there's a, there's um, a lot of Korean dramas that aren't romances, though, like Signal and, uh, well, Hotel de Luna is kind of half romance. Um, uh, the Stranger, Law School, little Sky Castle. Well, this is, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've gone down a Korean drama, a squid game. Yes. Sorry. Dead sorry. I took hole. us, I took us, took us off, <laughs> off the leg took us to and, a new place. Yeah. <laughs> Let's jump into quick burns. Trike pointed out on the quick burns thread that expanse season six has a teaser trailer and an air date. Amazon prime will be airing the expanse on December 10th. Again, that's season six. But this is the final season. The idea seems to be that they would make movies of the books that they would we would have expected them to base later seasons on. So season six based on the sixth book, roughly. uh, And then the later books uh, might be fodder for movies, which I, I very much hope they are. Now, would these be Amazon productions or would they be like whole other I mean, movies? It's we all don't know. Just scuttlebutt right now. Like, but yeah, it seems like it would make sense for them to be Amazon Studios, right? That would be great. Um, I am also very excited because December is The Witcher coming back. I think it's December 17th. Yep. Um, yeah. so I'm very much looking forward to that. That is yeah, we got high the expanse, on my list. We got the Witcher and and the uh the Tiamat's Wrath. Uh, the 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 final book in the right. expanse coming at the end of November as well. So lots of expansy goodness. All right. Jan says everyone in the chat was very excited for Jan mentions. Here we go. Number one. Jan says German TV broadcaster ZDF adapts the domestic 2004 hit science fiction novel The Swarm by author Frank Schotzing. Schotzing. In English for international audiences and will dub it into German for domestic audiences. Filming for the eight part series has already finished. The swarm plays on the concept that reckless treatment of the oceans will have unforeseen consequences and follows an ensemble of protagonists who are investigating what at first appear to be freak events related to the world's oceans. Yeah, this is a um, this is a an eco. Uh, it's a sci-fi. Cli-fi? Yeah. Cli-fi. I- the book apparently got a lot of kudos for the scientific accuracy uh, about ocean life in particular. Uh, this is a lot of like under the sea stuff, like what we're doing to the oceans and ocean, deep ocean mining and things causes problems. You might, you know, expect perhaps a swarm <laughs> of some oh, deadly oh, way. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, the swarm or in German, der swarm. No, No. it's it's Dershwarm, but it's pretty close. (laughs) I 100% believed you. (laughs) It's Dershwarm. 100%. It's it's almost exactly the same. Anyway, yeah. Um, And and I apologize to Jan for butchering what little German I'm trying to pronounce right now. But uh, yeah, this looks great. I actually want to read the science fiction novel now as well, but I might just uh, wait to see who picks this up. They're making this. I thought Jan was Dutch. Okay. No, but you said what little German? Because the is name Jan is in, because the book is in German. But you said you apologize to Jan because he submitted the story. Oh, okay. I don't know. Jan might speak German too. It's I don't know. He probably does. Quite possible. It's very possible. <laughs> You're the German in the crowd. Me? Yeah. Don't you have partially? German? Yeah. yeah Prussian. Prussian. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> We're a uh, Frederick the Great. 
let's be let's well, let's be specific here. Okay? Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, all is good or something. All is good. Yeah. All is good. Um, See, your German pronunciation is pretty good. It's, it's, it's in your genetics, I guess. Uh, anyway, no, what I was going to say is it's interesting they're making this in English. You mentioned that, and I don't want us to gloss over that too much, uh, because the idea is even though it's a German book and a German production, they're making it in English so that they can sell it internationally. Got it. Aren't there a lot of things called The Swarm? Yeah, there are, aren't there? I feel like there's a lot of things called The Swarm. Mm-hmm. So that was why I feel like there's a vampire thing called The Swarm. It's not this thing, is it? No, this is this about this, vampires well, I, in the sea. I, this does uh, from the write up in the Guardian that came along with Jan's posting. I did not get the idea there are vampires, but I can't say for sure. I just assume everything is vampires. All right, yeah, what's, yeah. Well, what's wise? <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> oh, uh, it's mine, Mark. In a follow up discussion to last year's post apocalyptic present. Uh, the Supreme Laser. Oh, that's me. This is that's awkward. That's you, you. Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny is when I read this uh, on Goodreads, I saw Supreme and immediately just assumed it meant you. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, no, this one's <laughs> well, about I'm the, me. I'm Supreme Sword. Yeah. No, I know. I just, I got this Supreme. I'm like, oh, it's about Veronica. Then I'm like, saw Laser. And I was like, oh, hey, no, <laughs> it's me this time. Uh, anyway, I joined uh, Bianca Lopez, Ian Tregillis, Lonnie Nadler, <gasps> Mark Russell, and Paul Constant in a discussion about uh, the post-apocalyptic past, uh, kind of since we've been in somewhat apocalyptic-ish times lately, uh, we talked about what it's like to write uh, apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic stories and how that may have changed given the pandemic and all that stuff, hosted by the incomparable Dan Campos on chorosipalomitas.com. Uh, it was great. It was a really, really fun conversation. Awesome. What is Ian Tregillis up to these days? He's writing, writing books, writing, writing yeah. good stuff. I haven't I caught up with so, him in yeah. a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's great. Well, cool. That, that sounds like it would be a fun listen. How do you have the time to do all these other things? Uh, that's all I do. Increíble. <laughs> all right. And then Cammy says the Star Trek novel verse is coming to an end with a trilogy of books. Just like Star Wars did with their novels before their new canon, Star Trek are doing the same and wrapping things up only they're doing in universe with a big bad affecting all of reality. Mm-hmm. There will still be Star Trek novels, obviously, but they will all conform to the Picard timeline now. Really looking forward to reading these, and if you're in America, you can read it right now, while I have to wait until the 14th of October, <laughs> according to Cammy. Yeah, I was reading up. Thank you, Cammy, for tipping us off to this. I was reading up a little more on it, and uh, basically they, they ran into the Star Wars problem, which is they went a long time between Star Trek Nemesis, the movie, and Star Trek Discovery, and because the J.J. Abrams movies that filled in the gap were in an alternate universe— the novels just kind of took off and sort of, you know, they brought Cisco back from the wormhole and made Esri Dax a captain and gave Riker an admiralty and Picard had a son. And like, there's just all this stuff that happened. And then they brought discovery out and they're like, Oh, <laughs> Oh crap. Uh, what Wait, do we do Picard now? Picard had a son. No, Riker in had the, a son in the novels. In the novels, Picard had a son. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm really, I'm, I'm behind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, well, they, 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 I mean, I'm not going to say they ran wild, but they, they had latitude to do a lot of stuff. And now they're doing Discovery and Lower Decks uh, and Star Trek Prodigy is coming out. Another animated one, obviously Star Trek Picard when it came mm-hmm. out. Uh, the three authors of this trilogy 
came to the idea, pitched the idea, let us bring this novel verse to an end. Let's write a three-part story that that ends the novel verse, ties it up, uh, and then we can reboot and start writing novels that are still in 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 universe to Star Trek: The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, but don't have to rely on everything that was told in the novels prior. Fascinating. That sounds yes, really thank hard. Yes, Spock. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really difficult to do. That sounds like a whole mess. I mean, I guess what they're doing is is like. They're they're going to claim that the novels were a splinter, very similar to the TV shows in many ways, but not entirely. And that reality is going to implode or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm very curious yeah. what they what they do. Sounds like well, as they say, it's going to be a big bad, yeah. some kind of you know universe ending event of some kind, perhaps. And I can't. I don't know for sure. So Star Trek tie-in fans, don't worry. There will be. There'll be more books, just like there are in Star Wars, even after they do this. Absolutely. Uh, and then Seth pointed out that LitHub.com has a page uh, picking the 25 most iconic book covers uh, with a few science fiction and fantasy covers on here. Although, honestly, it's a little literary for my taste. I, I, I'm not going to say I was disappointed, <laughs> but I was well, like, brave I, was new looking, world. I was looking for a Dune. I was looking for a Philip K. Dick. We got... Fahrenheit 451, like you say, Brave New World, Mm -hmm. uh, um, what's his name, Uh, Kurt Vonnegut, Uh, Mm -hmm. you've got Clockwork Orange on here, this is all- I mean, these are all good, they're just all old. These are all books that I would have shelved in the literature section. When well, I was working did it claim in a bookstore. To be, they didn't claim to be no, no, SFF no, 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 no. genre, no, no, no. right? I'm, uh, and I'm not blaming anyone. This is, this is, I'm not angry. I'm just saying when Seth said, ooh, they picked a few sci-fi covers, I'm like, cool. And I was imagining Asimov, Dune, you know, the, the golden I age see. of sci-fi mm-hmm. covers. And they don't have any of those. But they, you know, honestly, that's good stuff. There is obviously fantastic books, but they they're all very they're iconic. I guess iconic means that they need to be kind of like classic. So a little bit on the older side. But there's no like I feel like there's nothing modern that could also be still iconic. Uh, Jurassic Park is probably the most modern one, isn't it? Yeah, they're all they're all fairly. Or American Psycho 91. Yeah, yeah American Psycho is a little younger. Is a little younger. OK, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, these are these are definitely like well, yeah, you have to be old to be iconic kind of attitude. I guess towards picking like, this, I feel like there I'm not be some saying new, that. I'm just saying that seems to be the in. feeling here is like it's going to have to be at least 20 years old or more. I mean, I don't disagree. You know what? I disagree with one selection. Every one of these, I'm like, I is also disagree. I disagree with one selection. Which at one least is one? Well, I, which mine's a Confederacy of Dunces. Oh, really? No, I like that. I think that is no, a, like a very classic cover. Um, I recognize all these covers from working in the bookstore years ago because they're all from the 90s. All right, which one, which one do you um, do you not agree one, with? The Unbearable Lightness of Being. And it's not hmm. that I, I don't like the hands and the hat. I think that's mm-hmm. great. They overdid it on the, the rest of it. They've got the New York Review of Books poll quote. They've got international oh, bestseller up across. Like They kind of ruined it. So, What is your favorite one? Ooh, that's a really good question. I'm not even sure. I have a favorite. I've always My liked favorite. the Atlas Shrugged uh, reissue cover. That's a, I love our deco stuff. Uh, yeah. The Clockwork Orange one's pretty cool. 
I think my favorite's probably up here. I'm still scrolling up. My favorite is Jaws. Oh, that's that's a great one. I just like the the like the the like uh, not white space, but the 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 contrast and just how they did it. I think it's great. I tell you what, I'm torn. I want to say Great Gatsby because I think that's just a fantastic cover, and it's like I I I know what it is without barely looking at it more than a second. Mm-hmm. But I th- I think I'm going to go with um, oh, where to go, uh, the Tennessee Williams, yeah, Streetcar Named Desire. I'm frankly embarrassed by how few of these I've actually read. I think I need to make some time for more classics in my life. And that, that was the day Sword fiction. and Laser became a classic <laughs> literature book. <club. laughs> we'll kick things off with Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yeah, next week Camus. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for Quick Burns. Thank you for everyone who contributed to our Quick Burns. You can do so by either posting in Discord or on Goodreads in our Quick Burns thread. All right. Now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. And our first one is a Beth Mitchum. She did yes. a review of Nosferatu. Good morning, Jan. Jan's in the audience. He missed his he missed his big scene, but it's okay. Jan, oh, and by the way, uh, number are you of Dutch quick hits or German? Number, two questions. <laughs> two uh, questions to kick things. He's German. No. Jan, you're you're gonna you're gonna enjoy the opening of the show. Uh, also, right. one Jan Quickburn today. One Jan Quickburn. They were the betting count is one. in the Discord, Jan, about how many the count was uh, one. All right, Beth Mitchum, another uh, fabulous contributor to our community, says Nosferatu, Joe Hill. Wimpy me is proud of making it through this book, although I read a lot of it peering through my fingers. Kid Danger is kryptonite for me, and this ride was fueled by it. Hill knows how to get pages turned. Beth, it's it's like I don't even realize you're in a character count. You're you're so good at this. I know, so good, so yeah. good. That's, no that's wasted dead words. On. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good editing, uh, Beth Mitchum. Uh, and not a warning, but heads up that most of our barrier swords are about Nosferatu. None of those are spoilery. You're fine. We won't spoil anything until we get to the wrap up later. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, Tomahome writes. Charlie Manx from Nosferatu is obviously patterned after Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. <laughs> Excellent. We'll and go this to was Christmas land. <laughs> this was a, a thread started by Daryl over on Goodreads uh, that Tomahome is pointing to, who said, I can't get the idea out of my head that Charlie Manx looks exactly like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Old, balding, liver yep. spots, large nose, and prodigious overbite. Mr. Burns' first name is even Charles. Makes me giggle, but it's still terrifying. I love the book, by the way, both reading and listening to Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. I didn't picture him that way. So good. I didn't. Um, I can totally understand why the, the, uh, the comparison is being made. Um, and then Ian says, that's pretty funny, but I have to say that Zachary Quinto was brilliant as Manx on the show. The show was perfect, in my humble opinion, he said. Um, once I knew that Zachary Quinto was Manx, I kept trying to kind of like shoehorn him into the role. But obviously, but honestly, I just kept picturing like a modern looking Nosferatu from the German film. Mm, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, I got it in my yeah. head, like making uh-huh. the album art and the name. Uh-huh. 
And I just kept picturing him, but like more modern, wearing like modern clothes, <laughs> looking like I was a little picturing, bit younger. Probably nobody else has seen this in our audience, but I, I was picturing the 1950s era black and white Christmas Carol movie. Uh, hmm. The, the oh, Ebenezer Scrooge from that. Okay. Because uh, he's got, Manx has kind of a Scrooge-like appearance. And that's so Christmas. funny that they so never make that comparison. They never make that comparison. And I feel yeah. like that would be an, really interesting. But he loves Christmas where Scrooge hates Christmas. Right. Though He's at the, the end, Scrooge, Scrooge loves Christmas. Yeah. Right. He, he loves Christmas, but he is evil and never gets redeemed. And we were both. Well, we'll talk about this in the in the in the book wrap up. Um, but he does. You know, I remember how I was saying how I thought he was 40 and you were like, no, I thought he was older. And yeah. he just, and the, by the end of the book, he looks like he's in his 30s. So oh, it just okay. depends on like kind of when you interact with him or like what stage of, of yeah, healing of and feeding. life he's yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an energy vampire. And then Nicholas Pratt Colin says, Colin, Colin Robinson, <laughs> Nicholas Pratt says on Twitter, um, Nosferatu is great, really dark and disturbing from my Goodreads review. The idea that we quote live in two worlds, the real world and the world of thought is the powerful and thought provoking theme of Hill's book. Then he goes on to say, I personally wasn't a fan of Mexican Gothic, which is the <laughs> book that I'm reading right now. <laughs> okay. Fair, fair. Uh, that's fine. Fair to have that take. I totally um, agree with that that idea of the world of thought and the real the quote unquote real world. Uh because really when when I hit that line the first time I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's good because honestly, all of us live in the world of the thought of world of thought all the time." Right. None of us are actually directly perceiving the real world. We're all we're all interpreting what our brain tells us is going on in the real world. And there's all kinds of you can get all philosophical about what that means or whatever, but uh yeah. That was, well, I actually that was think very... I wish I had I, I I didn't read this on Kindle and it's harder to highlight things on Kindle than it is on I'm sorry it's harder to highlight things on Amazon than it is in Kindle obviously but there was um I'm pretty sure this was Luke Harmony who said you know he was able to believe Vic throughout everything because how weird is it that you know we go into other worlds of thought all the time when we read fiction or get obsessed with comic books. Like these thoughts happen in people's minds. Like they invent yeah. whole separate worlds. Like right. how difficult is it to believe that someone could make it physical? I make definitely, it, you know? especially in my twenties, when I would come out of a movie would feel like I was in the movie for mm-hmm. a short, you know, for a short period of time. It'd take me a while to kind of readjust uh, to, to being in the real world. And then we have that phrase, uh, I was worlds away. I was miles away. I was in a whole other world, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. What even is real life? You know, I mean, at this is point, this real life, is this real life. Yeah. All right. Well, a should we wrap up the meme? book? Yes. Uh, let's do it. Uh, Nosferatu by Joe Hill. Uh, if you're not done yet, you might want to pause and come back when you are, because we will be getting spoilery about the book now. Uh, let's, let's start with a a little less spoilery. We'll, we'll ease you in in case you're scrambling to get to your pause (laughs) button or something. Uh, Buzz started a thread called not just horror, also urban fantasy, said, I'm really enjoying the book and the discussions that have popped out about it so far. There have been many comments about this being a horror novel, which it is. However, I think it could also be classified as an urban fantasy novel. Without getting spoilery, 
We discover very early on that our protagonist has a very special skill. Later on, we find that there is more to the world than what can be seen through general observation. These are common urban fantasy tropes, right? There's something special about... um, What's her face from uh from from that one movie? Oh crap! I totally my memory totally failed me. Uh, Twilight, Twilight. What's her? Oh, what's her? okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's something <laughs> special about her, and then later we find out there are vampires and werewolves. Uh, mm-hmm. These are common urban fantasy tropes, and I think this book easily fits into that category as well as horror. Anyone else find that this book is not out of the norm for a sword and laser pick for that reason? I, yeah, I can definitely see it as being urban fantasy. And, you know, frankly, um, I think it was in the, the nope for you to, uh, thread where they were talking about how, um, black, um, what was that other book that we read that was really awful and scary red and black moon wolf oh 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 um yes i know I, now i know what you're talking about um black leopard red wolf thank you thank you my goodness you know that one book? these are the benefits of having a live chat i appreciate it <laughs> yeah not only do you get a bonus quick burn from yawn quick burn should we should we do do we need to take a break to read uh yawn's bonus quick burn <laughs> i don't know should we leave it as a bonus for the for the chat it should just be for the, all right, it's just for the chat then. Just chat can yeah. enjoy it. I feel. We'll, we'll just, we'll right. tell them what it was. The first annual Ursula K. Le Guin prize for fiction will be awarded in 2022. Sweet. $25,000 cash prize. Ooh, ooh, yeah. ooh. Oh, or listen to Veronica. So as I, as I, I digress, um, black leopard, red wolf was, I would say far more disturbing than this book was for me. Um, if we're just ranking it on like disturbing, levels i mean and everyone's your mileage may vary you know some things are going to be more disturbing for some people than others obviously that's why we gave some trigger warnings for this book in particular um before we started reading it but i expected this to be a lot more scary i think i can definitely see the urban fantasy tropes coming out when i think about it like now that now that he's brought it up um there is that like chosen one kind of vibe. There is a, a magical system that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, alternate worlds within a world are pretty common in urban fantasy. Um, it takes place in modern times. Um, you know, a tough chica, you know, on, on a motorcycle um, gives very like, like Kate Elliott vibes. Um so there's, you know, that kind of stuff like she didn't ride a motorcycle, but that's beside the point. Still, I can see they're they're, you know, they'd be compatible. They would get along, I think, if they met. Um, so, yeah, I can see that. I, that's why, like, so many of these books are, are genre bending. You know, it's hard to it can be hard sometimes to categorize things like this because I think we Joe Hill obviously comes from a horror background. You know, he's got the horror pedigree um, more so probably than anyone in the world. And so him writing a book like this, yes, there's horror elements, but yeah, it's also could just be a scary urban fantasy or like a slightly disturbing urban fantasy. Horror, I mean, maybe my definition for horror is a little bit different than the average person. Um, who knows? Or maybe it's not. But like torture porn for me is horror. Things that are scary and paranormal are not horror to me. 
Mm-hmm. So I just have like a different, a different kind of like barometer for mm. what I, I consider horror. That's a very narrow horror definition. <laughs> torture. That's porn. my definition. I'm if sticking tor- to it. If it's, not if it's torture saw porn, or it's hostile, I'm not, not watching horror. it. <laughs> <laughs> not reading well, it. I, don't I think people know would argue it. about whether those are actually torture porn. Some of them or not, I guess. But I, I, Saw I get what... hostile. They are 100 percent torture porn. Okay. I mean, it's not sex mm. porn. It's not that kind of porn. Right. Right. It's. It's. I mean, maybe sometimes. Well, that's the problem but... with categories, right? Right. There's no law. We made mm-hmm. up the categories. We made up the names, and we make up what they mean. So we can we can all shift the the goalposts anytime we want in these discussions. So it's never about what is it. It's about what's a useful definition of it right yeah uh and i and i think you're right there's a there's a useful definition for shared categories like in a bookstore like what should go in the horror section that's a different conversation than what does veronica consider horror yeah like for example in chat like tomahome says dark fantasy so yeah are are some is 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 Joe Abercrombie, is that actually horror? Yeah, or definitely got uh, horror elements to it. Count to Money sure. says yeah. that Simmons book, Hyperion, is that horror? That mm. book messed me up. That was scary <laughs> as heck. So yeah, that to me, that I think that like poked more horror buttons for me than in some parts this book did. Um, yeah, uh, that's just two- my that's just my vibe. You know, you're right. You're totally right. Two responses in this thread uh, that I think bear on this. Lisa says, I think nearly all horror has a supernatural magic element to it, thus falls into the fantasy genre. For Lisa, horror is just a subcategory of fantasy. Hmm, that's interesting. She says, if I don't it has no supernatural, hold on. If it has no supernatural or magic element, she files it under thriller. That's so interesting. Yeah, I I think of thrillers as being more suspenseful. And horror as being mm-hmm. more like gory, scary. So that's it's just, you know, it's all it's all gravy. It's just people, I think we define things in different ways. We have different tolerances, different definitions. Jan says the classic example in movies, of course, is alien, sci-fi movie. You know, yeah. is that science fiction or horror? I mean, yeah. Both. It's both. It's both. It absolutely is both. Uh, And a trike I thought had a really good point, which is stories can be and usually are more than one subgenre. Horror tends to be a spice rather than the meal itself, but it can be its own thing. Uh, I don't know. Just using the uh, word meal, talking about all this is making me very uncomfortable. Gory horror. (laughs) I, I, I looked at this and I was like, oh yeah, horror could be a C. It's like cheese. Horror can be something you eat on its own. Or it could be an ingredient in something else. All right. Well, moving on. Horror is uh, like cheese, Veronica. Horror is like cheese. So I should love horror. Horror, that's the title. Horror <laughs> is like cheese. I'm writing it now. <laughs> Just add it to the doc it's right like now. Do you want me to read cheese. this next one? Sure. Go ahead. Because it's really short. Uh, Tamahome in the Discord uh, pointed out a link on Ranker.com to every Stephen King reference Joe Hill included in Nosferatu. Uh, there's also a thread from Buzz and Goodreads on this as well. If you want to get uh, a look at that, how, uh, this so was how many, incredibly how many did you pick up at the time? Do you remember I'd, how many people I'd picked say up? Roughly three fourths of them. Three fourths. That's high. Good for you. I got uh, well because I I went on a Stephen King kick about five ten. That's years right. Ago. When you went like you reread like all of Dark I read Tower, all the Dark yeah. Tower books, and all the ancillary books that I went with that. Dark Tower. Um, yeah, so 
the Pennywise stuff, the Got the that. road the road to Midgard, uh the the um all that stuff I got. I got the Shawshank one. I heard that. I did not get the St. Bernard as po- possible Cujo nod. No. Feels like that... it might be a stretch, but Cujo was a St. Bernard, so I don't know. And then Charlie Manx's Wraith may be a reference to the possessed car Christine. I'm like, that definitely feels like a stretch to me. I mean, it makes sense. I, I get that, especially in the scene where um, Wayne is in they're like in the garage at the house of sleep and um the car is like responding to him and like locking the doors and yeah. like you know kicking him yeah, back okay. like, maybe that's it's not as much of a stretch as, as i thought um the other thing was was the references to hill's own works the the stuff about um treehouse of the mind and the lock and key reference to uh to lockhart um or, i'm sorry lovecraft uh, massachusetts i caught mm. those as well And then I didn't get this as a reference because I haven't read the book, but I noticed it at the time and it felt important Um, was I'm trying to find this reference here. It was when Charlie Manx was talking about, okay, here it is. When uh, Charlie Manx is talking about like the other um, like baddies in the world and um, where is it? Now I can't find it. Locations or the other well, the other locations. Is this but no, the reference to Doctor like, Sleep? No. Oh, it okay, was. The, I did not get um, that. I have not read Doctor Sleep, so there was a reference to Doctor Sleep apparently, but I didn't get that. Yeah, I haven't read that either. I have read Cujo, which is weird. I mean, I know Cujo is a Saint Bernard, but I don't think of it as a Saint Bernard for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, I think I always thought of Cujo as being a Rottweiler. Even I, know. Though I know that's not true. Did you think yeah, of that as well? Yes, we've been we deceived against- by by visual media. Okay, so it was the uh, the true knot. Um, they're yeah, villains. that's what I just said. Is that what you said? Well, I didn't say the true knot. I said Doctor Sleep. Oh, are they from Doctor Sleep? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't read Doctor Sleep, so I didn't even know that. <laughs> oh, but okay. I remember okay, when gotcha, they were gotcha, when Charlie sorry. Manx was talking about it, he. I remember this line where he says, "There is a true lot who live on the road and are much in the same line of work as myself. I leave them be, and they are glad to return the favor." And at the time I read that and I was like, oh, what's their deal? What are they about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of so knew like, it was a reference to something, but you yeah, didn't know what. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, and so that, uh, I thought that in was this cool. Ranker article, uh, it says that Joe Hill said all those references are a lark. He was like, I was just goofing around. He's like, I do not. I, he's like, don't ask me how they fit in because I was just having fun and then sprinkling in references. Uh, he says, this novel is my senior thesis on horror fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I loved it. I, I I thought it was great. Well, we'll talk about that afterwards. But I wanted to read this um, post from Ricardo. Um, it's called An Unexpected Gut Punch. Mm. And it really impacted me. So Ricardo says, this book reminds me that each of us bring very different things into the fiction we consume. Things that are dependent on the exact moment that you absorb it. I first read Nosferatu several years ago. In the middle of reading it, my mother suddenly passed away. Needless to say, I didn't try to get back into anything for some time. I dreaded getting back into the novel, knowing there was already a mother-son dynamic. But upon finishing it, I realized it was exactly what I needed to read at the time. 
Apart from the superficial pleasures that this narrative provides, I thought it was also a potent indictment of how we tend to fetishize youth. The evil that Manx exhibited wasn't meant to harm children, it was to preserve their innocence and keep them frozen in time. This paralysis fueled his immortality, but at the expense of those children's growth. Such clinging to a simpler past can prohibit the maturity that complexity in adulthood can afford us. There's a saying that one does not come fully adult until your parents pass away. Sounds grim, but I think it's meant to convey that such a transition should provide a new perception of the world around you. It lays the foundation for a new reality. I think what Nosferatu argues is that the transition should be embraced and that pining for a more innocent past is worse. Vic's death is clearly tragic, but if a parent's ultimate goal is to embolden their child to take their own fulfilling steps in life rather than keep them frozen in youth, then she successfully accomplished that. Whatever the topic of favorite novels come up, I might get confused looks when I mention Nosferatu. My only explanation is that some works just hit you at the right time. Or, put another way, the right book can work for you at your personal worst time. Uh, thank you, Ricardo. That is that is amazing. Uh, both know, as an I example of how we all bring different things into books, even at different times. If we read the same book at a different time in our lives, I've certainly found that to be true. Uh, but that that uh, saying that one does not become fully adult until your parents pass away, man. Oof. Oof. Very true. Absolutely. Yeah. That hits. Um, I and I related to this in a lot of ways because, as most of you know, like I had my first child this year, and he's uh, he's a boy human, um, and he, I, I had a hard time getting into this book at first because I was very like mm. the, yeah, I, I don't think I was ready to deal with like violence against children, mm-hmm. and. Not to say that anyone wouldn't be affected by that. Like, obviously, I just I was feeling, uh, you know, particularly sensitive to that in that moment. Um, And I pushed through and I'm glad I did. And there were still a lot of like very difficult passages, I think, in in the book. Ultimately, you know, with the exception of the four who 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 get out and stay out um, at the at the very end of the book, you know, those children were saved and, you know, and and Wayne was saved and the evil was vanquished for the most part. And Vic did die. And that was no Tomahome. My son is not named Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I'm talking about the guy in the book. Um, but yeah, it was it it was tough. And I had to like keep keep thinking like, this is just fiction. This is just fiction. This is not yeah, happening. Yeah. And even like the sexual violence, you know, from Bing and, and all that entailed was, was super difficult to read, but it was about the, the kids, you know, I think that affected a lot of us reading this book the most and prevented a lot of people from, from picking up the book in the first place. And understandably so it's, it's, that can be a hard, I mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have that same reaction reading it, you know, it's, it's hard to see children be traumatized. Yeah. I, I, there, there's a few thoughts that I have, uh, uh on that. Cause that's, all, that's all really, really deep thought provoking stuff. Uh, I mean, one is anytime your life condition changes, how you read is going to fall different. I mean, just on a very small level, becoming a dog owner made me 
way less tolerant of seeing violence against dogs than yeah. I was before I was a dog owner. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's just pets. Totally. Uh, you know, so I, I can't imagine what it's like, you know, it'd be like, no, I have an actual human child now. Uh, and, and as you get older, uh, maybe not for everybody, but I, I, I'm not the only one who I've, I've talked to around my age that feels this way. And, and people older than me, you, because you've built up so many more experiences, things that seem cheesy when you're young or goofy or you're desensitized to hit harder because when you're young, you're more likely to think something's unrealistic because you haven't experienced it yet. And as you get older, you have more experiences. You're like, actually, you know, you know, I used to think that was cheesy, but I've been in that situation. I felt that way that, you know, hearing that cheesy thing would have, you know, really helped me out in a hard situation. And so there's all that on top of it, too. And Charlie Manx, man, he plays on that. He plays on that stuff to get the kids in. Right. Things that would make right. an adult's skin crawl. Kids are like, ooh, that sounds fun. Um, yeah. So. So, yeah, this is. I mean, when I what I'm about to say, if if you just can't deal with it, trust me, I am not saying anyone should should force you to deal with it. But just because a book is difficult doesn't mean it's not worth reading sometimes, because once you get to the end, you may have learned things about yourself or have a new way of looking at things that you wouldn't have if, if you hadn't pushed on through, I think. Yeah. We should talk about Vic a little bit. I feel like we we've we've covered a lot of the feelings that the book has mm -hmm. conveyed to us. Um, we didn't really get into the book itself. Um, did you like it? That's after this long conversation. We just had such a loaded question. <laughs> I know, you know. I know. Did you right? like it? I did. You enjoy reading it? Yeah. You know, my, the the trope for me sometimes is I didn't enjoy reading it, but I'm glad I read it. Uh, I actually wouldn't say that about this. I not only enjoy having read it, I enjoyed certain parts of it, mm -hmm. but there were also parts where I was not enjoying it and I knew I would get back to a point, but that's a good story, right? You have ups and downs and in a really good story, the downs make you want to bail. Uh, and that, that this book definitely did that. Um, I just think the twisted genius of having the villain be pro Christmas <laughs> and not even the religious Christmas. Maybe like we should have read this that, on December instead. Yeah, the things that people say about Christmas, uh, they're like, even if you're not religious, Christmas is a time of, of joy and, and, and having Charlie Manx parrot all that. It's just, Oh, it's so, so creepy, so unsettling, so <sighs> uncomfortable know. and so genius to be like, yeah, but you know, that doesn't you just saying it doesn't doesn't absolve you of of guilt doesn't absolve your behavior uh and christmas is well i think one of my favorite holidays and and a potential for a very joyous time a lot of you know a lot of times it's a very sad time or it can be used as a cover for for not very pretty things uh mm -hmm. and and he, you don't see that explored very often. If anything, what you see is like, you know, the drunk family on Christmas. This was supposed to be a happy day, right? Or, yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, here's a murderer who steals children, takes them to Christmas land. He's oh totally gosh. an energy vampire. He is. He he's really Colin is. Robinson. Yeah. He is. Like, he's that's a the much more I twisted want. and evil Colin Robinson. But we're still not talking about Vic. You don't because know. Vic's the reason I kept reading. Vic, yeah. Vic was, was my hero. And... I love that Vic is very positive as a child, as many children are, 
and then jaded as an adult uh, and trying to be told that what she experienced couldn't have been real is this sort right. of the parallel of like, get over your dreams. This is the real world kind of situation. But that, that, that shorter way was real uh, mm-hmm. and necessary for her to be able to save her son uh, by the end, even if she couldn't save herself. It was, yeah, it was very frustrating because you, you wanted someone to understand, to see, and the only person who understood and saw was Charlie Manx for so long. Oh, yeah, and, I know. you know, so, oh. like when there's only a handful of people you know, and one of them is your your captor and, like, effectively torturer, um, that can really mess you up, I can imagine. Um, yeah. And it messed all of them up. You know, nobody who was touched by this, you know, came out unscathed, you know, whether it was Maggie or whether it was Lou. Um Everyone was impacted by it. Um, and Vic, there are more no so. Mary Sue's. <laughs> There's no Mary Sue's, no. Um, but yeah, Vic is a character. I mean, I related to her a lot. And someone, I think it was Tomahome, said that Vic reminded them of, of me on the TV show. Um, I was like, ooh, because I kind of felt that like while I was reading yeah. the book, too, in some ways. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, I I always wanted the fantastical to be real. I always wanted mm-hmm. to find my shorter way as a kid um, and believed that I was, you know, the chosen one, as so many of us do, I think, as as young people who are who have that mindset and have that, you know, fantastical thinking. And. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. And then Lou was such a, sorry, I'm just like, I'm just kind of like thinking through emotions and, and feelings yeah, yeah. about it. And then Lou was such a, such a gentle, kind soul and that he just loved her no matter what. And even if they, you know, could sometimes be, you know, she was kind of self-destructive in so many ways, but he was always there to support her. Um, and ultimately I think they were good parents, you know, even though Vic was so messed up, I think. I think Wayne did see how much she loved him and how much she was trying. And I think that's, you know, even if you do have a rough, a rough time of it, hopefully that's the thing that he carries with him. Um, and it was, I was so upset at the end, not knowing that he was going to be okay. You know, and that the ending kind of sequence where he's still mm-hmm. having those feelings of being in Christmas land and, and wanting to, to, you know, kill and maim and destroy just because it would be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're like, Oh my God, he's going to be like, this is going to be his life. Like he's going to grow up this way and he's going to be the next Charlie Manx and he's going to like reopen Christmas land. And that's going to be the next book. And it was all for nothing. But then he saved in the end because of Lou ultimately, I mean like Vic saved him, but like Lou like fixed him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. You know, and and to me, that was like they worked together as as parents in the end to to save their son. And I thought that was pretty great. Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons it probably hit Ricardo so hard is these characters are all, all complex. Even Charlie mm-hmm. Manx. Charlie yeah. Manx is very evil. But even Charlie Manx isn't 100 percent evil. Right. He's like 97, 98. But there's a there's a part of Charlie. I mean, the the fact that Charlie uses Christmas Land 
Charlie really believes that. Like that's from Charlie's own horrible upbringing is that that Christmas was supposed to be joyous and it was a lie, but he's going to fix that. Right. And I'm not saying he has a redemption arc or anything, but he even gave the villain a tiny bit of humanity, right? Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That's shriveled and lost, but it's there. And everybody else is incredibly complex. Nobody is flat. Uh, you get through the course of this story, the idea painted out that everyone thinks their parents should be more perfect than they are. No human is capable of that. And even bad parents like Vic's father can be good. And right. can, you know, and, and can want good. And that I, I, I thought of that in, in relation to a lot of the conversations we have these days about, you know, you know, blaming people and whether they can be forgiven and all of that. And, and, you know, honestly, Vic's father should, should be canceled. Right. But Joe Hill makes a case for, yes, he should be held responsible and should not be forgiven but that doesn't mean he's not still Vic's father. And under certain conditions, they they need each other. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a tough point to try to make work. And I, I think he does a fairly decent job. I don't know if you agree. No, I totally agreed. Yeah. Yeah. The complexity. There's there's so much complexity there. And it's so hard to to love someone who ultimately, you know, does bad things or has done bad things or, yeah, yeah. you know, is not unforgivable is not, things. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's tough. Um, the characters, as Tomahomey says in chat are, are so good. Um, I think they're all fully formed in so many ways. Um, yeah. And that, that made it like a really, a really great read for me. Even Bruce, even Bruce is like a kid. Yeah. Usually you give people a pass. Ah, it's a kid. How complex could they be? Bruce is incredibly complex. So good. He, yeah. he read a little bit older than 12, I will say. Yeah, maybe <laughs> if, if there's a criticism, <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And honestly, like I've just precocious. There were t- like when he was on the road with with Manx. Uh, I hate to say it, but there were a few times where I was like, Manx, not so bad. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's, what like, okay, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Likable in some ways. Yeah. And which is kind and of messed up. Manx would explain himself. He would say, mm. "Well, it would be bad for me to do this, but the reason I have to, right? Yeah. It was like oh. there was always an internal logic to Manx that you could follow, right? Yeah, but I kind of felt like, like I was being like gaslit, you know? Totally. Like it was yeah, totally yeah. like, you're, oh, you're I being see. Brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bing, Bing was pretty awful just in, in every regard. Like I did not have a lot of, uh, Bing sympathy, but you knew why he got there. Yes. It wasn't just, he wasn't just evil. He, right. I'm not, again, same thing as Max, not excusing him, not saying he was a good guy or anything deep down, but, but there was humanity there. It was, it was someone that you're like, well, yeah, I deeply disturbed humanity. He shouldn't have made those choices, but I see why he, he did. Yeah. So anyway, all in all, I, I definitely I enjoyed the book. It it kept me going. I, I Kate Mulgrew's performance in the audiobook was was stellar. Um that definitely helped for me. And I kept coming I was looking for chores to do. It was one of those. Gotta find the chores, gotta clean the whole house, gotta vacuum. Yeah, for sure. I was <laughs> I was just with this one, I was just sitting and listening to it. I'd have a, like oh, a nice. baseball game on and just listen to this and not pay attention to the game. Right on. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up our show. Um, unless you have anything else you want to add, Tom. 
I would like to add good choice. All right. And, and, uh, we will... and keep an eye out on the Patreon there for the November choice because we will kick off the November choice uh, in the on next November episode, yep. which will be November 3rd. So patrons, uh, you'll get the book briefing. That'll let you know. Uh, Rob will make sure to let people know in the Discord and, and post it on Goodreads. Thank you, Rob. And uh, one thing I will give a, a distant heads up. I don't want to confuse people. This is not the November Are you going to confuse me? <laughs> Have you talked to me about this is the thing you talked to me about already. We are going to I'm going to announce a pick ahead of time because it's so long. (laughs) So the March 2022 pick, should we still be around as a civilization uh, in March 2022, we're going to read Peter F. Hamilton's Pandora Star. Okay, And so that's not (laughs) the November pick. You can forget about that. We'll remind you again. But we're going to we're just going to pick that one now. So but it is the November one. pick. I mean, no, no I'm sorry. It's, it's the March the November pick. pick. It's, it's the March the no- pick. It's the March pick. We haven't pick. announced yes. the November pick yet. It's we the March pick. We have not announced the November pick. Correct. It's giving you a head start on March. Cool. Plenty, plenty of room ahead of time. How long is long? Is it like one Q84 long? I think long? the audiobook is 37 hours. Okay. So it's like one Q84 long. It's longer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's long. It's really long. Tamahome, who advocated for this pick, said, better start reading it now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm reading, um, I'm listening right now to Victories Greater Than Death by um, Charlie Jane Anders. Um, I don't think that's super long, so I'll finish this after. I'll do that. I'll start that after this and make that my audiobook pick. Thousand page book coming in March. All right, Tom. (laughs) Is this the longest pick we've ever had? I don't know. It might be. If 1Q84 is is longer, that'd be the only one I could think of that's close. Because even Mist of Avalon, I think, was only seven or 800. Yeah. Wow. All right. Thank you so much to you out there, our patrons. Thank you so much for backing our show. If you want to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com. <laughs> Hold on. Jan says in German it would be 1.5 length. So just so you know. In case you're reading in German. Thank you to all our patrons over at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Oh, 1Q84 was 46 hours, so it's not as long as 1Q84. Okay. Good to know. Unless I'm remembering the amount of hours wrong of Pandora. Either way, story, totally yeah. long. Picks, Tom. Picks. Point. Talk about picks. You can uh, also support the show by buying books through our links, uh, bookshop.org. We have links to bookshop.org, so you can support your local bookshop. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email feedback at swordandlaser.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter at swordandlaser. And you can join in on all the discussions at goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!